Thanks, Dave. Good morning. Welcome. Glad that you are here. Glad you're joining us. Glad you're joining us online as well. Hey, before I get started, I want to thank so many of you who came out and participated and enjoyed the, the fall festival last night. That was a lot of fun. I'm going to need this. Um, I really want to thank... Angie's not in here. But I really want to thank Angie Manley. Thank Angie when you see her. She was the... Here she is. She was a driving force behind all that. Robbie helped out in a big way, and a lot of you pitched in and helped, but Angie sort of organized that and made it happen. It was a lot of fun. If you missed it, you missed some great fellowship, which we are talking about being devoted to the fellowship, talking about those very first followers of Jesus and the fact that they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Last week, I talked about the fellowship of the deep down dark and that place where we find ourselves sometimes where it seems like everything has, has gone wrong. And who do you turn to? What do you do? Where do you find strength when you find yourself in the deep down dark? But then, what about when things are going great? What about when you're not in the deep down dark? What about when you're in the light and boy, life is just going along wonderful? You know, what about relationships in those good days? You know, we all have these expectations. You start school with expectations. You start a new job with certain expectations. You join a gym with expectations. You go on a date with somebody and you have expectations. Heard about a guy who was being interviewed for a job as a cable television repairman. And he showed up at the interview 45 minutes late. The interviewer said, congratulations, you got the job. <laughs> we all have expectations, right? And those expectations sort of uh, spill into church quite often. And we all have expectations when we come to church. And I hope, I hope that our expectations aren't like the couple in this video. Take a look. Nick and Molly just moved to the city and can't agree on what they want. They're young and energetic and looking for a new church home. We'll take some personality tests, tour the sites, ask some questions, and based on taste, experience, and location, we'll find them the perfect congregation. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right. I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cry during Cake Boss. So, like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm -hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. 
Hey guys, What's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, wow. that's good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Okay, oh. so there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no. Okay, got it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, let's come on. Do it. I do love this lobby. It's yeah. a great lobby. You know, yeah. it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No. I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. This is the soundboard they use here. Okay. Now remember, it's pretty traditional here. So, when Sunday comes around, they turn it way down low. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But the one knock on this church, they still use the child care numbering system on the screens. Ooh, oh. for the... Yeah. Or as the moms like to call it, the Sanctuary Walk of Shame. Yeah. <laughs> the Sunday morning experience was just... A little too traditional for, for us. us. I mean, the pastor's main point, 157 characters. I can't tweet that. I really think you guys are going to love this place. I like we it. We do. We like Feels it. Great. Yeah. You know, it's diverse, but it's not like too diverse, you know? Um, scripture heavy sermons? Oh, or, yeah. 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 What about, uh, is it community oriented? Absolutely. Great. Oh, women in ministry? The parking situation, you guys got to see it. Super rare nowadays. Come with me. There's like a, a maybe for when my parents we'll come into town yeah. for a church for Christmas, Easter type of church. Like a holiday, holiday type church. One of the main reasons that I love this church for you guys is that on your personality test, Molly, you scored high in service and hospitality. Oh, babe. And there's wow. a great welcome team you could join. Perfect. Okay. And then Nick, you scored really high in need for accountability. Wow. And the men's groups here are amazing. You're just, you're just going to put that out there? Hey, just God like knows that? your heart, okay? On the next episode of Church Hunters. I think you're really going to love this place. They take relevance to a whole new level. This church identifies as interdenominational. This pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. I, uh, I watched that video and it, it makes me laugh, but it also makes me cringe, doesn't it? And I understand the, uh, the, the need for finding a place where you fit and finding a place where you can work and serve that feels right. But I also understand that we live in such a consumeristic culture and that consumerism has certainly spilled over into the church. And too often our expectations when we come to church are basically, what's in it for me? Feed me. Fill me. Encourage me. Teach me, take care of me, take care of my kids, sing the songs that I want to sing, and you better get me out of here on time. Now, what's in it for me? But when we're talking about church, when we're talking about our place in church and connections in church, Scripture calls us to be providers, not consumers. It calls us to be givers, not just takers. We're talking about relationships, right? We all want better relationships. I think we'd all agree we would like to have better relationships. And yet so often we do the very things that put our relationships at risk. So this morning I want to talk a little bit more about being devoted to the fellowship. Devoted to community. And I want to use the passage that you see on the screen there, Colossians chapter 3, 
as we talk about this idea of devoted to the fellowship, because I think Colossians 3 is a wonderful blueprint on how to build community and how to to build connections, not in the framework of, well, what are you going to do for me? But what am I going to do for the community? What are my responsibilities in this relationship thing? So, First or Colossians, I'm sorry, if I said Corinthians, I was wrong. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This morning, I just want to walk through this passage. And again, I want to walk through it, and as we think about it, I want you to think not in the terms of what everybody should be, uh, be pointing my direction, but turn that around and, okay, what do I need to be presenting? What do I need to be maturing in as we think about this idea of being devoted to the fellowship? And the first thing that Paul instructs us to do as God's chosen holy, dearly loved, is to clothe ourselves with compassion. Paul says we need to clothe ourselves with compassion. You know, as Christians, we we talk a lot about the need to be compassionate. And here, Paul uses an interesting turn of uh, words. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion. The first thing that people should notice about you is your compassion. You know, the first thing that people notice about you is what you have on, right? What you're wearing, usually. Change your wardrobe considerably and people will notice. Uh, I I was in the foyer this morning and somebody said, you wore that shirt last week. (laughs) I did not wear this shirt last week, but somebody noticed what I had on. No, we notice what people are wearing. Paul says, clothe yourselves, be covered in compassion. So the question becomes, are you clothed in compassion? Now we're all at church, so we said, we say yes, absolutely, we are clothed in compassion. Did anyone outside this room see that? You know, when you're at the store, when you're at the gym, when you're at work, would people see you and say, wow, that person is clothed in compassion? Confession time. The last time that Martha left town for a few days, I had to go to Publix by myself. Um, She left me with a ton of food, but I couldn't find any bread in the house. So I go to this Publix right over here in Seffner. I'm just going to run in and get a loaf of bread. That's all I needed was a loaf of bread. And I didn't even pick up one of those little green baskets that you carry around. I'm just getting a loaf of bread. So I go in, I go straight back, I get a loaf of bread, then I get some chips and ice cream, but that was all... And I'm still carrying it, and I'm walking up with my three things to the express checkout line, 10 items or less, and I see this woman headed towards the same line with like a cart full of groceries. And I can tell we're going to the same line, and you've done this before, right? And we're going to get there at the same time, and I'm, I'm, all these red flags are like, you can't be headed to that line, but even if you are, you have to let me go first. I have got three things here. And I kid you not, this woman sped up. (laughs) And she literally cut me off in the 10 items or less line. 
And she got in line in front of me, and I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. Really? And usually, when I'm standing in those lines and somebody's in front of me, I count what they put on the belt. Come on, you do too. We all do it. If it's close, I'm counting. I wasn't even counting with this lady. There's like 40, 50 items. And about halfway through putting all her stuff on the belt, she turns around and says, sorry. I got ice cream melting on me, you know. I got three things here, lady. I didn't say a word. But I've got to tell you, the look she saw from me was not a look of compassion. It just wasn't. You know, my point being, it's really easy to be compassionate around people who are easy to be compassionate around. It's easy for us to be compassionate here. It's easy to be compassionate around loving people. It's a lot harder doing that around hard people. And you see this play out in Jesus' life all the time. Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 9, when he, talking about Jesus, when he saw the crowds... When Jesus saw the crowds, when he saw these people that he didn't know and they didn't really know him, they didn't believe in everything that he was saying, they weren't like him. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' first reaction when he saw a crowd of people, Jesus as the Son of God, as God's Son on earth, his first reaction wasn't superiority. It wasn't critical or cynical or judgmental. Jesus' knee-jerk reaction is compassion. To see each human life is deserving of love and belonging. Talking about being devoted to the fellowship. We've got to be devoted to clothing ourselves with compassion. And then Paul is going to mention kindness. If we want our relationships to be better, we've got to be kinder. And I want to be sure up front that we're talking about the right concept here when I talk about kindness. When Paul talks about kindness, I don't think he's saying just be nice. You know, sometimes as Christians, we want to just condense everything that Jesus ever taught into just be nice. As long as I'm just nice, then that's all that God really expects of me. But guess what? Jesus wasn't really a just be nice kind of guy. I mean, he rebuked people. He confronted people. He called people out. He turned tables over in the the temple, the money changers. When Paul is using this word kindness, the the original language here really has to do with the capacity to encourage, to pour your life into someone else. So, So really the question is, in your relationships, are you an encourager? Do you encourage people that that you're around? I got to tell you, here at Bay Area, we are blessed with a lot of encouragers. I, I love the fact that so many of you are so good at being an encourager. Reminds me of the church in Thessalonica. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Isn't it sad when people outside of the church? define Christians because they always use the same words, right? Hypocritical, judgmental, narrow-minded. Wouldn't it be great 
If people outside the church described us as being kind and encouraging. Now, there's Christians, they're just kind as encouraging and encouraging. That'd be great, right? Yeah, thank you. But to be described as kind and encouraging, guess what? We have to be (laughs) kind and encouraging. Which leads Paul to his next list, next word in his list, and that's humility. Paul talks about humility. You want to do life together? You want to be devoted to the fellowship? You have to devote yourself to this idea of being humble. There is a staggering, and I mean staggering, amount of scripture that is devoted to this idea of our need to show humility in our lives, to be humble. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Peter's using the same language that Paul used. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Several years ago, the the Barna Group did a survey, and the goal of the survey was to find out what Americans considered their top sinful temptations. In other words, what do Americans struggle with? What sin do Americans struggle with the most? What do they find as the most tempting thing in their lives? It was done online. It was completely anonymous. There wasn't any reason for anyone not to be truthful. Thousands and thousands of people took this survey. And I want you to think for a minute about the world that we live in. Hatred. Abuse. Racism. Rampant greed. Violence, adultery, pornography. Let me share with you the top five things that that survey concluded that Americans most struggle with. The top five sins that Americans have to struggle with. Number one, worry. Number two, procrastination. Number three, gluttony. No, we eat too much. Number four, we waste time on the internet. Number five, laziness. That's the top five. Does that list seem a little soft? Anybody else? I know there's there's no levels of sin. I get that. Sin is sin. But does that list really explain and kind of define the ugliness and the devastation of sin? Is that, is that as good as Satan can do? For contrast, uh, let me share with you what God has to say about the human condition. Romans chapter 3, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There's no fear of God before their eyes. 
That's the prophetic witness of the human condition. And you hear that and you say, wow, who is he talking about? Who, who could be like that? Who could be that bad? Well, he's talking about me, right? He's talking about us. We have a hard time accepting that diagnosis, but, but we are the sinners. This idea of humility, it's not just denying our strengths, it's being honest about our weaknesses. None of us are perfect. We've all got issues. We've all got struggles. We've all got things going on in our house right now that we hope nobody in this room finds out about. Now, some of you might be kind of new to Bay Area and you look around and say, well, these people are great. These people have it all together. No th- nothing you know, going on here. You know, stick around a while. You know, get to know us. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But if we're going to be committed to community, if we're going to be devoted to the fellowship, we've got to get better at being transparent and being vulnerable. We've got to be better at growing in our humility. And then, staying with Colossians 3, Paul was going to list gentleness and patience. Gentleness and patience. And I'm combining these two because because I think they go together. You know, Paul is really good at giving lists in Scripture. This list in Colossians 3, it is so concise, but it is so incredibly practical. These aren't attributes that we just ought to be aware of and kind of file away somewhere. These are things we need to be aspiring to. These are things we need to be praying about. These are things we need to be working on maturing into. This idea of growing in gentleness and patience. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, Let your gentleness be evident to all. You might as well have said, Clothe yourselves in gentleness. Let it be evident to all. The Lord is near. This need to be gentle in our relationships. It is so important. And it is so, so misunderstood. Now, we know that relationships are hard. Community can be difficult. There's tension. There's conflict. Things can get heated. They can get difficult. There are times when, you know, you need to call out your spouse. And there's times when you need to discipline your child. And there's times when you need to confront a friend. And at those times, it is so easy to sort of drift into anger. And it's so easy in those moments to say some things that you know you're going to regret. So what Paul is challenging us with here is the need to stay tender and still be tough. And that is such a hard balance to find. Being tender when you need to be tough. And again, Jesus was so good at it. You think about John chapter 4, Jesus has the conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well. He's a Jewish man in Samaria. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus initiates this conversation, and before long, the conversation gets kind of personal. And the conversation gets a little bit uncomfortable for this woman, and she becomes a little bit defensive. You know, he starts asking about her personal life her personal background, and then he suggests that she go gets her husband, and that's the last thing that she wants to do because she's had a lot of husbands, and you really couldn't define the man she's with now as her husband, so she's trying to change the subject. But if you remember that story, Jesus doesn't condone her past. Jesus doesn't brush it aside. 
He doesn't say, you know, none of that really matters. None of that's really important. He doesn't do any of that. Nor does he become angry with this woman. He doesn't lash out. He's truthful, but he's gentle. You think about that woman who's caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus and they're going to stone her. Jesus, what should we do? Remember, Jesus didn't condone her lifestyle. In fact, he told her, quit doing that. But you remember how gentle he was with this woman? The lady who washed his feet with her tears, the, the sinful woman who dried his feet with her hair. Jesus didn't condone her lifestyle. But do you remember how gentle he was with that woman? So many times as Christians, we convince ourselves that as long as I'm speaking truth, I can be as abrasive as I want to be. I'm going to give you the truth, and I'm going to give it to you both barrels smoking. And I don't care who gets in the way, and I don't care who I run over, because I'm speaking truth. And, and, and I don't know how much damage has been done within the church of people who are speaking truth, but it is not in love. And how many doors have been shut, and how many hearts have been shattered by people who just, they're not patient, they're not gentle. We've got to be maturing and growing in gentleness and patience. And then finally, in, in our passage, our anchor text, Paul talks about forgiveness. And he talks quite a bit about forgiveness. Verse 13, he says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, the reason why relationships are so hard is because forgiveness is really hard. You know, we hurt each other. We just do. Everyone in your life, every relationship you have, every relationship you will have, there's going to be some hurt in those relationships. There just will be. We're human. We're flawed. We injure each other. And when someone injures you, you have a decision to make. When someone hurts you, you have a decision to make. Am I going to forgive that person? Or am I going to withhold forgiveness from that person? And what Paul is trying to tell us, I think, in, in Colossians chapter 3 is, that's on me. Okay, I have got to decide how I'm going to deal with how I'm wounded. And I've got to decide what I'm going to do with the wounds that someone else inflicts on me. The onus of being compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient, that's on me. The onus of forgiving, that's on me. Somebody wounds me. The onus of forgiveness is on me. And you say, yeah, well, Paul doesn't know what that person did to me. Guess what? Paul doesn't care what that person did to you. Because Paul knows what God did for you. And Paul knows God forgave you in Christ Jesus. And if God can forgive someone like me, then I've got to find it in my heart to forgive someone like you. Therefore, let's put it all together. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know that teaching in Colossians 3, those couple verses, that is so straightforward. It's so easy to understand. It is so difficult to put into practice. Because at some point, we've got to start asking ourselves the hard questions. How am I doing? How am I doing when it comes to being clothed in compassion? How am I doing when it comes to to showing kindness and humility and gentleness and, and patience? How am I doing when it comes to forgiving people who have wounded me? And if I'm honest with myself, I've got to admit, I'm kind of a mess in just about all of those things. But then I read what Paul says at the very end of this text. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Well, I like that, right? Put on love. Love binds it all together in perfect unity. Well, where does that kind of love come from? How do I find that kind of love? Look at the very beginning of the text, because Paul tells us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You want to know who you are? You are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. We don't build relationships because we're so capable and because we're so uh, wonderful and because we're so loving. We build relationships that matter because we've been so loved and God has been so good. This isn't about going down some list and checking the box. And This is about being loved. Some of you need to hear that today, especially if your life is feeling a little bit messy. I heard a story about a dad who was actually performing the wedding ceremony for his son. And his son and his soon-to-be daughter-in-law were standing in front of him. And he looked them both in the eye and said, You two are in way over your heads. <laughs> Which is kind of a funny thing to say at the beginning of a wedding ceremony. I've done a lot of those. I've never said that before. <laughs> I've thought it. <laughs> never said it. But he says to his son and his bride, you two are in way over your heads. But then he turned to his son and he said, but I want you to know this as your life moves forward. You are my son, whom I love, and I am so, so proud of you. And when it comes to relationships, guess what? We are all in way over our heads. We'll never get it right on our own. We'll never pull it off. We have these expectations, but given to our own uh, abilities, we will never make it happen. We are in over our heads. But there is a God who stands before us and looks us in the eye and said, You are my son. You are my daughter, whom I love. And I am so, so proud of you. And that's the only way this thing works. That's the only way that being devoted to fellowship works. 
if God, His grace, and His love are at the center of what we're working on and what we're working toward. If Jesus is the, the light. You know, I, uh, the idea of relationship, they're, they're messy, yeah. But we don't do it out of our own strength. We don't love out of our own strength. You know, I, I don't want to just be right, I want to love right. Because it's love that binds us all together in perfect unity. That's what motivates us to be able to be devoted to the fellowship. So this week, I want you to think about those, the, those attributes that Paul lists in Colossians chapter 3. Not how other people are doing with those things, but what about me? Pray over those verses a little bit. How can I grow? How can I mature in compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and humility forgiveness. How can I be a part of that love that that binds it all together in perfect unity? That's my challenge this week. Dave's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement right now. Uh, Something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of people who love you. We're going to invite you to come and meet us at the front of the auditorium and we will certainly pray about those things. Let's be standing. Love us.